Listener Production. Hi, I'm Dilrup Jaya Singer. My health and wellness journey began when I lost over 30 kilos. Since then, I've learned how focusing on being healthy both physically and mentally can turn your life around and put you in the driver's seat. And it isn't all eating kale and doing 100 burpees either, although we probably will talk about that. I'm lucky enough to be joined by experts as well as a bunch of idiot comedy mates of mine to talk everything from weight loss to waking up refreshed. Um, without the meditation music and wind chimes, please. In this episode, you'll meet Ben Lomas, the other guy who joined me on my weight loss journey, cookbook extraordinaire Kim McCosker, who will show that healthy eating can be easy as well as tasty, and nutritionist Kim Holmes, who talk the science behind eating the right stuff to fuel your body. Welcome to the podcast that will drive you to take control of your best life. This is The Driver's Seat. I can't even think of a better first guest to have on than my podcast husband of my other podcast, Fitbed. He's an incredible stand-up comedian. People may have seen him on TV at the Just for Laughs Festival at the Malt House Theatre. Please welcome the absolutely hilarious Ben Lomas. Hello, 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 Who hello. are you waving at? I'm waving at myself on that webcam yeah. over there. This is this is really <laughs> exciting and weird because we have our podcast, Fitbit Podcast, yes. which we've been doing for nearly five years now. I don't know if you realize that. Yeah, oh, no, I, I do. I edit it every week. <laughs> I'm aware. And we're, like, we're in a really fancy studio. We're, we're usually there at your place. In my living room. In your living room. <laughs> so obviously I know who you are and yeah. we're best mates in comedy as well yes. and things like that. So, but, but the listeners don't know who you are. How would you describe yourself? I'm a 42-year-old uh, dad that was uh, that lives in Melbourne and does uh, comedy full-time. Yeah, and I think um, that's, that's a very fair description. You're a fantastic dad, which I want to get into at one point as well. But let's talk about our journey into being healthier. So prior to our podcast that started in 2018, you and I, we're, we're on the heavier side. I look at where we were in 2018. Everything before the podcast was me just love drinking and eating food. Yes. That, that, that is pre-podcast in my life. So I feel like that's probably where we bonded. You'd start a comedy a few years before me, but yes. if we were at the same gig, we'd hit the bar straight away and have a pint or, or 12. Mutual friends of ours just talking about, you were, the, you were the best. You were the guy at the bar. Like you yeah. just kept the gig going. You just right. kept drinking kept the party and going. you kept the party going. The gig didn't really finish yeah. when the MC said, thanks for coming. It's kind of started again once we all were at the bar. Yeah. And, and I have such fond memories of that. But I also just remember that time where it's like I would drink 12, uh, 14 pints, and that's a lot of alcohol, and then I would wash it down with either a large pizza or savlaki and wonder why I'd get reflux throughout the night. <laughs> <laughs> right. But back then when we were starting out in comedy, basically we were known for being the heavy dudes uh, the heavy dudes heavy with heavy drinking. We were quite the punchline for a lot of comedians about being fat. Totally. And, and we embraced it as well. But somewhere along the line, we both kind of had a breaking point. Now, what, yep. what, what was that for you? In the end, it really wasn't, it wasn't really the shaming. It was more the fact that it was what my kids saw. So it was more the shaming of daddy's hungover. Yeah. He's not going to get up. Daddy's had a big night. He's not going to get up and play. And so for me, it was that thing where I was like, if I want to play with my kids, I need to be a lot fitter. I yeah. need to be a lot healthier and I need to be a lot more present. Yeah. And I think that's what's really important to identify that it wasn't so much an aesthetic issue. It became a health reason. And then also about what he was limiting us from being able to do. You know totally. I mean? You know, there was just, and for me, it was a shirt. I was trying to wear a shirt on New Year's Eve in, in Sri Lanka on 2017, December 31st. And it just didn't button up. And this was a shirt I was able to wear 
four weeks ago in Australia. And all of a sudden I'd gone to Sri Lanka and just binged eaten so much yeah. of mom's cooking that it didn't fit. So that was my breaking point. But you were a single man. You were you wanted to you wanted to feel attractive. You wanted to to go out there. And for me, I was like, I kind of was jealous of that because I was like, well, I don't have that drive. Like I, I'm right. in a long term relationship. And I was like, but then I was like, actually, why can't I do that for my partner? And then it was that kids where I was like, actually, I want to be around. And I think that's for me was like a real how what a great opportunity where I get to do start this journey with one of my dearest mates. We both want to achieve the same thing. But we're coming at from different ways. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard you frame my singledom as being that played a part in it. Because if I'm being honest, in terms of my self-confidence around dating, I had already worked on that the year before. 2016 is when I started seeing a therapist. And one of the first things we dealt with was my own self-esteem and self-assurance because I didn't feel confident, especially when it came to dating. Because you started losing the way. But this is what I'm saying. It was before... You did quite well. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 for me, it was very important to feel physically attractive even before losing weight. So part yeah. of the work that I did with my therapist was to know that just because I'm obese doesn't mean I'm not worthy of love and respect from, from no, people totally. I want to attract. Totally. But you have those moments where you're like tying up a shoelace, for instance. Tying up a shoelace when you're huge is really hard. Yeah, right. you, you're out of breath. You're like, well, I shouldn't be out of breath tying up a shoelace. Like, you know, like, why am I panting? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. doing two loops together. <laughs> like, you know, if you lose weight, you know, there's that sense of that you've got a bit more mobility. Mm, you know? And functionality. Yeah. And and so, you know, for me, it's like I've got a dodgy ankle. The lighter I am, if I do go through that ankle, the less painful it is. So we come, I come over to your house and then we do, I pretty much pitched the podcast. We decided to call it Fitbit Pod because. Yeah. Well, we both wanted to lose weight. Yeah. And we thought, well, we need to both make it exciting, but we don't need it. We needed a driver. Yeah. And the driver's like, well, why don't we have a bet? Why don't we bet $1,000 each who could get under 100 kilos first? You know, any challenge you go into feeling like you will have someone to be accountable to is yes. a real powerful driver because I know me personally, I'm very good at breaking promises to myself. And it's so funny because like, I try to explain it to people. It's a bit like, it's what the framework of what Weight Watchers does. So okay. you have to get together and weigh in. Because you had week. done Weight Watchers as I'd well. I'd done Weight Watchers before, but it just didn't have the same ring <laughs> as like when we do it. Like it yeah. was fun. But there you've just got quite often as I was the only bloke and there'd be eight other women and, you know, there was no real sense of camaraderie when I did it. Like, right. do you know what I mean? And with you, it was like, actually, no, let's do this together uh -huh. but make it a game. Because you, you were at 119 kilos. I don't know yes. if you remember this. And I was 120. So yes. we thought that it was going to – go for maybe like a year, the podcast. Yeah. Because, you know, to lose effectively nearly 20 kilos, right? Well, over 20 kilos we had to lose. Yeah, totally. And we did it in... <laughs> four months. Four months. <laughs> Which, now, again, I would not advise anyone to do. Yes. As much as it helped us get to that goal quickly, I think I've come to learn that long-term sustainable weight loss needs to happen gradually. All that aside, it did surprise us because what really kicked in more than anything else was our competitive nature. Amazing. We didn't realize how – I mean, I didn't realize. I never played sport. The first time I joined a gym. What helped us get there is is understanding what makes us tick. And I realized, you know, my ego, for lack of a better word, is a great motivator because knowing that I had to potentially publicly pay you $1,000 yeah. was an attack on my, my ego. So I really worked hard to make sure that didn't happen. Let's let's rewind then back to some of um, some of our lower points, specifically in terms of food, because 
it's no secret that food is like, you know, nutrition is like 80, 90% of anyone's health journey. And depending on where you grow up, like I'm Dutch. Yeah. Like my life is chocolate and syrup. <laughs> <laughs> like, and clogs. Yeah, like I, like I just, yeah, like, you know, when you grow up, you know, it's, it's you know, I was lucky because my mum cooked healthy food at home. But I think after a while, it's like if you eat a lot of healthy food, then that also has the opposite effect. That by the time I left home, I wanted to eat bad food because I could. Because it was a rebellion almost. Yeah, not even a rebellion. It's just like, it's that thing I was like, I, I can eat all the things I never was allowed to eat as a kid. Yes. I was yeah. like, now I can finally do it. You're like an adult in a candy store. Pretty much. Like, <laughs> I remember the first thing I bought when I lived on a home was two liters of milk and a box of Cocoa Pops. I used to love McDonald's. Mm. Like, and I still do. If I see the Golden Arches, like, it's very hard for me to not turn in. It, it's, 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 it's annoying how addictive that food is. Mm. Um, now I don't go there. When if, was the last time you went to McDonald's? I play now a game where every time I drive past Golden Arches, I give myself a run. I can cricket. Oh, okay. Right, right. Because so, usually when I go into Golden Arches, I give myself the runs. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're playing the same yeah. game. So like, and this is what kills me is like, then you'll, and I'll do it per week sometimes where I'll be like, oh, like I'm up to 52, right? And I yeah. haven't, you know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm not out for 52. Now, if nice. I was to go in, then I'd be out. Yeah. The problem is it's just disturbing how many, like if you drive around from gig to gig, you're like, how did I go past 52 Maccas? Yeah. You're like, this is disturbing. Well, I think it's, a, I'm glad you pointed that out because sometimes people forget that if you're the type of person like me that struggles with feeling I don't have good discipline or I, I have low, low willpower, just remember that you, I'm combating geniuses behind marketing. And, and this is the thing, like I only got McDonald's as a kid when we had a babysitter, right? And we didn't get a babysitter very often because mom couldn't cook or mom and dad were going out. So therefore... It was a real treat. And then later on when I started working, I was driving a lot before comedy. I would just, it was hard to not see McDonald's and not drive in. Yeah. To the point where it's like, it, it would take everything in my willpower not to drive in. Well, it's Pavlovian almost, you know what I mean? Yeah, you'd like, be like, oh, I'm hungry. Yeah. Bang. What happens is then sometimes if I was feeling quite down, I would binge eat McDonald's. Yeah, comfort food. At comfort food. And the one thing I would do is I would go maybe late at night about 11.30 and then I'd go in and I would order 40 nuggets mm. with eight barbecue sauces. And it is, and again, like I like to say, you know, some of you are listening to this going, that's disgusting. And a lot of you are listening to this going, doing the maths on this <laughs> and going, that's five nuggets per sauce. Yeah. And also what you're forgetting, my favorite part about it is you'd get an empty uh, soft drink cup <laughs> so you can tip all the sauces yeah. into the cup first. Because so, you don't want to waste time taking off the top. Why would you? Why would you? You're efficient. You've got you places to be, it. toilets to sit on. And then you'd and like take, actually take a, you'd have to have a breath. I remember once I had to breathe, I was like, oh, i got to calm down. Like you're doing a workout. Oh, right. You had a pit stop. <laughs> yeah, pit stop. Like, oh, the light's green. Let's go. <laughs> Nowadays, what seems to be more for an Achilles heel if, if the archers aren't? I reckon I know what that is, actually. My Achilles heel is when the odd occasion Aldi sells Strop waffles. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. So and that I'm is so my excited. favorite biscuit in the world. It's at two wafers uh, squished together with syrup. It's a, it's a, an old traditional biscuit from Holland. And the, I'm part of a WhatsApp group where it's just Dutch people who mm. then let me know mm. that Svelte are appearing at Aldi. Right. So you're like, You've oh, no. You've got Google alerts for it. Yeah, go, yeah, you're like, oh, my God. And then, you're like, oh, and then how many packets do you buy? Yeah. Like, and I last time I bought three, and then the kids had one each. <laughs> when you look back at the times or the periods that you've been getting your nutrition correct, what have been the most helpful things for you? So I do all the weekly shopping, but I do it with my children and they're part of the planning process of what we eat. 
And that for me is if you can incorporate that or you incorporate your kids, they kind of hold you in- accountable. So the example is, for instance, like this week we wanted to eat some different foods. It's not about me choosing the food. It's also about the kids choosing the food. So, you know, my son's really into stir fry. So I was like, well, how do we make it different? And so it's trying to get him to eat different types of vegetables, for instance. Like, okay. So he goes, but I don't like capsicum. Okay, we'll find another red food. We like to make it a lot more right. colourful. So in this case, we've got those mini cherry tomatoes. So for me, it's it, it, in a kind of weird way, it's, it comes back to that sense of accountability. But doing it with the kids, it's like, I can't just fill my whole trolley full of Mars bars. I'm glad you finished that sentence because it sounded like, I just can't fill my hole. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I get that feeling. There's a void inside me that I'm constantly trying to fill with KFC. But do you know what I mean? So for me at the moment now, it's like, it's just really getting the kids involved with the cooking and shopping process. Because I kind of like the idea of them knowing what's in the food. Like a great healthy snack at the moment, which, you know, which I enjoy now is just like sliced up, up apple with um with the almond butter, for instance. Like, right. Or, you know, or uh, some cashew fiber, butter. You're getting like, some sugar, your natural sugars, and you're, you're getting some good, good Yeah, and it's a real good butter. taste. You've got the salt of the cashew. But right. Like, it's, it's really, really nice. And, it's, and I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't, you know, heard my son talk about it because he stayed over at his brother-in-law's and that was a snack. What do you reckon are you most proud of in terms of your understanding of food and, and nutrition and, and the values of eating well that you see your kids now have already adopted at their, you know, they're what, seven and five, seven and four? I feel like it changes. Okay. Uh, but the one is they only really know me as a sober dad. Mm. That I can have fun without adult drinks. And if I can keep doing this until they're 20, then I just feel like I'm just setting a clear example that you can have fun without alcohol. Right. And I just, and, and it's so funny because people ask me, when are you going to drink again? Your and son's I, 18th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, there was an opportunity a couple of weekends ago where I was asked to, shall we, shall we start again? And I said, no. Yeah, wow. And it was a, the perfect, perfect opportunity to. Right. And look, people, you will listen to this and, and say, you know, oh, look, he doesn't drink. I... I I still love a beer. We talk about it. I still, yeah. I, I would love to have one now. But for me, in my life, if my kids can go, oh, no, my dad, my dad never drank. I, I feel like just, just setting that mm. as an example mm. that I'd be really proud of to be able to do that. That's amazing. And I'm proud of you too. Thank you. Ben, obviously, nutrition is, is part of the battle. Mm. Uh, maybe the majority, in fact, yes. some would say. But the, the other part of it is, of course, fitness. And I'm excited because you'll be joining me back for episode two to talk about our fitness journeys. Fitness. But for the moment, thank you so much for coming along. It's been a pleasure. And I uh, can't wait to see your face again soon. Bye-bye. Kim Holmes joins me now to get down to the nitty-gritty and talk about the science of healthy eating. She's a nutritionist and program manager at LifeWorks, has a Bachelor of Health Science, Advanced Diploma of Nutritional Medicine, and a Certificate in Pediatric Nutrition. And what all that means is that she knows a thing or two about food. Kim, thank you so much for joining us pretty much on while you're on holiday as well. So it's ex- doubly appreciated. You are most welcome. Anything for you, Dilrog. <laughs> so that's probably a good starting point for me, which is while on holiday, how much wiggle room do you personally allow yourself? I think it's important, you know, to not deprive yourself of those kind of luxuries when you've worked hard to go away on a trip like that and balance things out, you know, with exercise, bit of movement, you know, and family, friend time. It's all sort of coincides of, of having a great break. I, I have the wiring of someone who, when he indulges, it just goes really, really crazy. So I don't like labelling food as good or bad or whatever. Mm. But if there is one that you know that has a little bit more bang for buck, 
talk in terms of calories, um, <laughs> what you love to d- dabble in, uh, w- what would yours be? Is it wine? Is it chips? What's your go-to? It would have to be wine, definitely that. <laughs> I think uh, paired with a big, beautiful cheese platter. Oh, see, it's not too bad though, is it? Like surely a bit of red wine, isn't that supposed to be good for your heart? Mm, I think that's everyone's like, oh, it's okay, it's red wine, you know. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, it's grape juice. Yes, that's right, it's fruit. That's my fruit <laughs> intake for the day, you know, everything in moderation. I think uh, over the years people have a fair understanding of the impact that food has on our bodies, you know, physically. But I think something that we don't tend to talk about too much is the mental impact. What do you understand as being sort of the the major benefit mentally from eating consciously? Oh, definitely. I think um, because food's such a it's, – it's there to live, you know. We need it. So it excites me that food can have so many benefits. And you probably heard the term good food, good mood. No, that's a, that's a, that's a new one for me. Yeah, there's a lot of research around there. A couple of great books I read on, on, you know, good mood food, you know, things like obviously fresh, you know, healthy, real food and avoiding sort of processed, you know, unfavourable sort of uh, takeaway type foods. But, you know, your good fats, uh, fibre, probiotics, healthy gut, things like that. I think when you eat well, you, you generally feel better. That's that's the way I, I think. I'll, I'll speak from my experiences as someone who was about 125 kilos till I was about 33, I think it is when I started to be a bit more conscious of it. And, and I put on weight when I was nine years old. So overeating and, and sedentary was kind of my way of being. So whenever I tried to start new healthy habits, believe it or not, my body went into shock and would reject, you know, veggies. <laughs> it was almost like it wasn't used to like almost the norm or the, the equilibrium that my body was used to was greasy, unhealthy foods. Is there an understanding of a waiting period that we need to tolerate before we we start judging whether this is good or bad for us? Patience is definitely the key and everyone is different. I think, you know, and some people have different patient levels, I think, than others. So I think you, you're generally to enforce new habits and routines. It's, it's a few weeks there, you know, and along that way, like you said, you might have some side effects like your body doesn't like it because this is not the norm for you. People like yourself or in who don't eat that well, who don't feel great, they think that's the norm, but they don't know what the flip side is, is to eating healthy, you know, which takes a lot of dedication and commitment to change that lifestyle, I think, but it definitely has its benefits. But hang in there. That's all I can say because yeah. you reap the rewards. Small changes equal big rewards over a period of time. I'm glad you said that. So in that idea of, you know, just focusing on making a small change and just hang on to that rather than trying to make this big dramatic change. I feel like I yo-yo a fair bit because I'll get my head right and then go hard into it. And then once it's done, I'm like, oh, we'll just let the reins down. Do you have a sense of what's a good minimum to do? Is it like a minimum a one day a week to try and do this or minimum one meal a day? Or do you have any guidance around that? The one meal a day, I think that's a great starting point there. Like if you pick one change per day, whether it's getting up half an hour earlier to, to go for that walk or even something small like changing your large, extra large coffee for a small one. What about if you are finding yourself in, um, say, like a, like a truck stop or a servo and your options are limited to that? How do you process the situation in front of you? Do you still try and seek out 
I guess, almost damage minimizing rather than, you know, finding the be- the healthiest quinoa and kale salad at a, at a servo? I, well, quinoa and kale is not for everybody, you know. it's not. I wouldn't say it's up there with my favourite. I do love it, but you need to be realistic when you're out. But I think more and more places like that, there are healthier options. Go for a savoury kind of a snack rather than a sweet snack because that's the sugar content's going to be, you know, off the Richter scale with things like that. Fresh juices, like I said, a smaller coffee option or a black coffee, some sour dough, avo or an egg rather than like a muffin or banana bread or Mm. something like that. And you've hit on an interesting point which I wanted to get to, which is sugar. I wasn't a sweet tooth. I was someone who used to uh, think I didn't have a sweet tooth. I was a big beer drinker though. And then about six years ago, I quit alcohol. And all of a sudden, I just started replacing my pints of beer with pints of ice cream. And (laughs) that um, go for you? (laughs) Uh, yeah, not great. <laughs> but um, I recognize now that I do love sweets. Maybe just the, the the carbs that I was getting from from beer prevented me from feeling like I had a sugar craving. If there's anything that I want to be more in control of is my sugar because I, both my parents have diabetes. I'm subcontinental. We're highly more probable of getting diabetes. So I'm trying to figure out, again, sugar minimizing. Those things like stevia, are they okay substitutes because there seems to be so much confusion around whether they're good or you're better off just having normal sugar. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think, look, your plant-based natural sweeteners like stevia and things like that, they are, in my opinion, better than than sugar. You know, like you said, sugar can lead to a a whole wrath of of health problems. And your other alternative there is artificial sweeteners, which I think should be kind of avoided. Having, you know, a a plant-based sweetener, some of them are actually still quite sweet. So I think it's Mm. important just to sort of not just think because, oh, it's better for me, I can just, you know, load up on that because you're still kind of tricking your brain into thinking, oh, this is kind of sweet, you know, so I want more and more and more. So you're not kind of addressing that habit of of getting, you know, off the sweet sugar trail. I remember choosing to not have soft drink, I felt was good bang for buck because mm. there's so much sugar in it and I love it. So replacing it with soda water with a squeeze of lime was heartbreaking after I'd already quit drinking. <laughs> I'm like, come on, let me just have, let me have a Coca-Cola. <laughs> now on the note of soft drink though, is kombucha this magical drink that I can have as much as I want because according to the label, you know, there's hardly any damaging stuff Mm. in there. I do love a kombucha and that's kind of my soft drink alternative. Mm. Look, they are good for your gut. They've got some probiotics in there. They're definitely a healthier alternative to soft drinks. Some of them have a little bit of sugar in there. It still has that sweet kind of taste, again, tricking your brain into thinking you're still having something sweet. So, I mean, if your goal is to really eliminate sugar, that's a better alternative, but not every day, I would say. So on food labels though, here in Australia, we see these um, these star ratings. Yeah. And and I think there's been a bit of chat as to what the accuracy of these star ratings or what they mean. Have you found them to be a reasonable guide and how would you interpret them? I don't think they're overly reasonable. I'm not a huge fan of them, if I'm honest. Mm. Nutrigrain, for example, so a well-known sugary cereal, mm. that has five stars for its fibre content, which is fantastic. We all need a lot of fibre in the diet, but it doesn't even take into account the high sugar content. You know, a third of that packet is almost pure sugar. So Mm. misleading, I think. I I wouldn't use that as a be-all and end-all guide to choosing packaged foods at all. So what would you just focus on the 
per serving or the per 100 grams or 100 milliliters and so look at it as a percentage and try and use those as guidelines? Yeah, that's exactly right. So just flip over the back. I like to look at the per 100 grams because that would give you the percentage. So anything, mm-hmm. you know, sugar you want, it's sort of under 10 to 15 grams thereabouts per 100 grams, so less than 10 to 15% sugar. And that's including less in carbohydrates or the, the other part where they break it down further as in the sugar That's right, with sugar. Component. Just yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So 10 feels like a lot, but okay, great. <laughs> I'm going to go get some more. <laughs> 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 Other things to look out for on the package, you know, saturated fat, less than three grams, so three percent per per product. That's not the total fat, just the saturated, the not so friendly fats. And just learn to le- read the ingredients list. You know, the longer it is and the words you can't understand on, yeah. just forget that. You know, you want to have something with less products, uh, less ingredients, real ingredients and Always the first ingredient listed is, is the one there in abundance in weight. So if sugar's the first ingredient, you're gonna know that's heavy in sugar. So say you have this hypothetical character, a stand-up comedian from Sri Lanka whose life is completely, let's just say they have a hectic schedule and they have no necessarily consistency happening. What would you say, you know, the top five things that you can, if you can try and nail these five things, you're onto a good start, or at least you're going to minimize the amount of damage you can get from unconsciously just grabbing food from a server. Number one, I'd probably say fresh is best. You know, try and eat fresh foods where you can, you know, less processed foods, real food. That would probably lead into number two. Three meals a day is probably all you need. Do we need to snack? Probably not. If you're having three balanced meals a day, and number three would be back on those balanced meals would be making sure that you have protein at every single meal that you have. And then if you do need to snack because you're exercising more or you are genuinely hungry, protein snacks, that's going to help you feel full, keep your blood sugars stable, you know, get you through to the next meal. I'd probably say number four, you know, watch your calorie intake, just be a little bit aware of what men and women should have. Women approximately 2,000 calories a day, men two and a half, just as a ballpark, just to see if you're not massively going over that, you know, to wondering why you're not achieving any results perhaps. And then make water, I'd say, your daily drink of choice. And in terms of calorie count, do you have any um, go-tos? Is there anything that you found has been useful for your clients? My fitness pals, one that comes to mind, a lot of my clients use a simple. I think you want something simple, you know, punching in what you're eating, just to get a rough estimate. It's never going to give you an exact figure and you don't want to be across that line where you become obsessed with how many calories are in what you're eating, you know? I know many PTs that I've had have always said to me, there's a lot we can do here in the gym, but really ultimately it comes down to your nutrition. There's this idea that it's like 80% diet, 20% exercise. Is that true in your experience? Yeah, I think it's true. That quote sort of stuck around for for as long as I can remember. And I still run with it. I think they say, you know, you can't exercise out a bad diet, you know, so you Mm. can't sort of eat whatever Mm. you want free for all and think it's okay, I'll just go for a run or go to the gym, whatever, because if you're eating sort of unfavorable processed foods, it's going to have other detrimental long-term health effects. 80-20 definitely, 80% of healthy whole foods and then that 20% of finding, you know, an activity that you like, that you love, that you can sustain as well. It's the same as changing your diet to make that sustainable, that 20% of movement or activity, something that you love that you can sort of pair nicely with, with a good diet to become a super healthy human. Kim, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. If you have been living on fast food and servo pies and decide that you want to start eating healthy, that can be quite a tricky transition. Trust me, I know. Especially if you're someone with no idea in the kitchen. So what do you do when you take away the takeaways? My next guest could have the answer. She specializes in making tasty meals that are easy to whip up because none of the thousands of recipes that you will find in her books 
use any more than four ingredients. One in every seven homes in Australia has at least one of her books in it. Her books span, check this out, three continents, 26 countries, and are published in six foreign languages. But don't worry, today she will be speaking in English, which I'm very thankful for. So, welcome to the driver's seat, Kim Koska. Kim, first of all, thank you for joining me, but I'm pretty late to cooking. I only really started cooking, I suppose, in once the lockdown started happening, because in the two years prior to that, as a 33 to 35-year-old man, I went two years straight without cooking a single meal. What? Yeah, so for me, this was eating from restaurants, uh, deliveries, and uh, and takeaway. That would have been expensive, though, Dural. Yeah, but I was a single man at the time, no dependents. Yeah. You know? A lot of disposable income. <laughs> then the pandemic happens and I lose the disposable income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I basically walked into my pantry cupboard knowing that there's this pandemic, there's lockdowns, there's people panic buying stuff. So I better stack up as well. I opened my pantry cupboard and all I had ready to go was a couple of cans of mm. beans, lentils <laughs> and uh, butter beans and raw red lentils that had expired. Now, do you realize how long they'd have to have been there to be expired? That means I must have bought them, what, two, three years prior to that? <laughs> I can tell you how much I would have appreciated your books at that time. But I didn't even realize there was this ability to get delicious and nutritious meals with four ingredients. It's amazing what you can make with four or fewer ingredients. You know, necessity is the mother of all inventions. So I feel like this might have started off in going like a desperate situation. We're like, I've only got four ingredients. How do I impress these people? No, it's it did come from a desperate a desperate situation. I actually did a degree in international finance at university. So 15 years ago, far more versed in the complexities of superannuation than shepherd's pie as it goes. But life was such a pressure cooker in the finance funds management. It was, you know, massive targets and and if you weren't working from dawn to dusk and beyond and I had two little boys, I was running all the time. I was, you know, had to stay at work late because that's what you were meant to do and I had to run home, get the kids from after school care and I had to run to swimming, I had to run to tennis, I had to run to, to soccer, whatever extracurricular they were doing. Then we had to race home because everyone was starving. Then I had to walk the dog because no one had walked it and the plants were half dead because it was a hot day and I needed to water them. Then I needed to get washing on. And, you know, what's for dinner, mum? And then you go into your pantry and there's a, a beautiful recipe book, but Jesus, Mary and Joseph, you know, the recipe I opened it at has 14 ingredients and one's a spatchcock and it's 10 past six on a Wednesday evening, you know, like <laughs> it's just, it just was so impractical. It was so my busy, chaotic, stressful day didn't stop when I got to the haven of my home. And all I wanted was someone to show me how to make a bacon and egg pie with the ingredients I had in my fridge. So really four ingredients stemmed from that need at the end of a really busy day to get good food on the table quick with the ingredients that I had in my pantry, or if they weren't there, were readily accessible from my little local store two minutes down the road. You know what I mean? The way you described your journey to it also kind of resonates with me, but I kind of gave up. So mine was quite similar. When I was trying to cook for myself, without the guidance of something like what you have, I found it really challenging to cook for myself because I was a single guy. 
you know, especially during the pandemic, I open up the recipe. It's for a family of four. So immediately I start crying because I'm missing mom and dad. And I don't know when I get to see them back in Sri Lanka. So once the tears dry, then I have to go to the supermarket and, you know, mask up and cover up and make sure I don't bump into anybody, get all these ingredients. But all of a sudden I realize, hang on, this is the recipe is for four, which means I need to quarter everything. So I'm there looking for like quarter of a garlic and half a bay leaf. And then I feel bad to throw it out. So I put it in the freezer for whom I don't know, because it's just sitting there for three months taking up valuable gelato space and then I'll eventually <laughs> I have to just chuck it out. So I thought, why am I bothering? Just take the middle person out and just get the food delivered to me. Oh, I know. well, I think whilst you're a single, whilst you're, a, you know, a sink or a dink, that's okay. And we ate out a lot, you know, in that finance time. I have to pause. Sorry. What is sink or a dink? Oh, single income, no <laughs> kids. Single income, no oh. kids. Double income, no kids. While you're a sink oh. or a dink, you can eat out and you can dine out because you have that disposable income. But once kids come along, our schedules don't allow it. The kids' lunchbox don't allow it. Like even as a single person, I would still suggest Jess, you grew up in Sri Lanka, my gosh, you got curry flowing through your veins, my man. You know, <laughs> curry is good on the day you make it, but it is even so better, much better the next the, day. Totally. Oh, so you should so totally be making, you know, one or two, you know, definitely two or three or four servings or portions of your curry, you know, for, for the next day or the day after. So we dine in my office, Aldesco, every day because... And what does Aldesco mean? At your desk. Like al, al, al fresco at your desk? Yeah. <laughs> Except Just there's confirming. nothing fresco about it, your desco. <laughs> it will be what we've had the night before leftovers. So we are always about mm. cook once, eat twice. That's mm. That's like music to a busy person's ears. You have to cook once, but you get two meals out of it. Yeah. So I don't know whether you live alone, whether you work shift work, I cannot encourage you enough to rediscover the simple wonders of home cooked food, but make it easy. I will say though, like in spite of where are my origins, I definitely like in terms of hating cooking or not enjoying the process of it, I've definitely converted. I should point out that I am now definitely at the church of cooking at home. And I love it. I love it because it taps into the same insecurities that made me a professional comedian, which is me being able to take raw ingredients from life, put it in a way that's palatable and feed it to people saying, hey, if you like this, hopefully that means you like me. And I've definitely Frankenstein stuff from my pantry cupboard and just managed to salvage what was going to be really bad into something really delicious. So now I'm slowly learning different curries. My best is a uh, prawn curry that I... Oh, uh, yum. Yeah, it's... And see, prawns, high in protein, great fats, low low calories. So if you're trying to lose weight, you know, that seafood, mm. the seafood component in your diet should elevate. But tell me about this, though. As someone who does travel uh, on the road a fair bit, the access to uh, when you're on the move yeah. to like a... A, a supermarket and things like that start to get limited. I'm thinking you've probably got to prepare some things like overnight oats and pop them into some little jars and that birch and muesli. Okay, this is it. This is what I love. Let's 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 talk specifics then. Yeah. So that seems like an excellent tip to begin with. So you would suggest pre-prepping oats ahead of time so that even if you have to wake up in the morning, they're good to oh go my gosh. Go. So, and oats, here's the thing that I love about oats. You get a massive 750 gram packet of oats from any supermarket in Australia for less than uh, $1.30. You'll even get them like mm. in the cities for a dollar. So oats are a dime mm. a dozen, but they are so fibrous. They're so good for you in terms of good gut health and, you know, all of the rest that goes with that. Regular poops. Totally, totally, totally. But if you just add a little bit of 
juice or even just water or some almond uh, milk and you mix it overnight and then the next you know the next morning they're all soft and lovely and you add some yogurt and some you know some grate in some apple they're good in a little jar Mm. in a little esky for a couple of days they're delicious get a thermos you know like and make a curry so I don't know if you can see this I do I can that's my chicken tikka masala right now, I write books called Four, four Ingredients, what? Dill. How many ingredients do you think's in that dish? Well, I'm going to say more than four because if not, I'm going to hang There's up. There's three. <laughs> There's three. Don't hang up because Seriously? you're going to want to know how right, they are. Can I guess? Chicken. Totally. Chicken tikka chicken? masala. So the star ingredient. And then take away from the Indian home diner next door. <laughs> no, negative. Don't do Own a friend. The next ingredient is a Patax jar of tikka paste. Right. Now, what we like about that is it is full of natural oils and natural ingredients. It's gluten-free as well. And all that natural oil is a natural preservative. So it will also last on your shelf for a good 12 months. So into your frying pan, you have maybe, say, two tablespoons of that. You often buy chicken in half kilo or kilo quantities. So let's say it's just you and you're going on the road. You would do a half kilo quantity. You cut your chicken into your paste, which is all the flavour, and then you bring it together with a little tin of tomato soup. Oh. And it is it is all the flavours of the tikka masala paste with the tomato soup that combine to create magic. Now, because we live in this beautiful, nutritious, dense bowl called Australia, we are all privy to a fridge and a crisper with fruit and vegetable. So at that point, you could go and get your spinach or you could get your zucchini or you could get your carrot and add it to your dish. That is so lovely the night you make it. But in a thermos, if you are on the road the next day, it's even nicer on day number two. Mm. And it's so easy and so flavorful. So just with my boys, like they have little eskies and they would take their curries and, you know, their sautés and all sorts of different, mm. their soups, they would take soups in their little thermoses uh, to school. So, you know, that's the cook one seat twice. Well, I'll make something the night before and think, right, what can I make that I can actually put in their little thermos for school the next day? And again, it's just mm. to stop them eating the potato gems at the canteen every day ending in why Monday to Friday. <laughs> what book do you reckon is a good place to start? I think of all the books, the one that I would probably recommend most, there's two. One is called The Easiest One-Pot Cookbook Ever and the other one is called The Easiest Slow Cooker Book Ever. And the reason mm. I recommend them, like a slow cooker, it takes the hard-working muscular meats and it renders them down over a low and slow time and it just – it turns the hardest working like pork shoulder into just this melt in your mouth meat that is so flavorful and so tender. And it makes quite a large portion. So you have ample, you know, for the days to come. If you're on the road, you need to actually get yourself a little esky that you can plug in and regulate the temperature and then just get your little containers. You might have your pulled pork, for example, with a little bit of, you know, smoky barbecue sauce. And then when you stop, you know, at your road road stop or at your, your supermarket, you just get a little tub of, I would, you know, do coleslaw or something like that just to add a little bit of freshness, freshness to mm. it. Those two books are the ones that, they create large meals, you know, quantities. Mm-hmm. So flick through them and pick something that makes your heart sing when you look at it. And, you know, you can't out-exercise a bad diet. 
exercise alone will not help lose weight. You cannot, as I said, out-exercise a, a bad diet, but I think physically and mentally to do some element of exercise every day, every second day, it's such a good way to start the day. Kim, you are a national treasure. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of that. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, including how much of these I'm actually going to action. Oh, and thanks for you. Like, you know, weight loss, we all struggle with it. Like we're up, we're down, you know. I mean, you're like, whoa, really big swings. But I think by you sharing it, you know, people will follow People invest and they resonate more with your weaknesses than your strengths. So thanks for for seeking me out and uh, for the conversation. It's been a pleasure, Dil. Well, you heard it there. Healthy eating can be simple and you don't need to be a whiz in the kitchen to make good choices. Kim mentioned, surprise, surprise, exercise still does have a part to play in a healthy lifestyle. So in the next episode, we're going to talk all things physical activity. My buddy Ben joins me once more to discuss our exercise journey. First time I played squash, it was five minutes and then I was cooked. You know, I was there with my Ventolin just going, I think I'm going to have a heart attack. And then the next time I played 10 minutes of squash. The next yeah. time I played 30 minutes of squash. And then before you know, I was like, actually, I just played a full game. And I'm joined by fitness champions Katie Williams and Andrew Papp. If you find something you enjoy, it doesn't become that obligation or chore anymore. It's actually something you actively want to participate in. I always love to listen to music on the days that I'm struggling. So it's been Taylor Swift's Midnights at the moment. I want to see you on the treadmill (laughs) screaming those lyrics out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's me. I'm the problem, it's me. I think that's actually very true for our entire conversation so far. (laughs) That's next time on The Driver's Seat. 